you're listening to my podcast. I'm Aaron Beam. I've actually given over a thousand speeches. I've written two books concerning ethics. Another way for me to get my ethics message out there is via podcasting. Each podcast will have a little bit different message about ethics. I'll have different speakers come in and uh, professors and people that I've met while I've been speaking about ethics, and they'll join in on some of the podcasts. My guest today is Ralph Bender. I met Ralph in New Orleans when I was invited to speak at a Society of Louisiana CPAs. Ralph was a chairman of the society at the time and um, enjoyed speaking to the CPAs in New Orleans, and he has invited me to speak to other groups since then. Ralph uh, is now works where he's the CFO of the Manship Media Company, which is a broadcasting group that is in Baton Rouge and also in the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, he, for years, was a practicing CPA working for regional and uh, national firms. Today, he's very active in all kinds of charities and societies, does a lot of public speaking himself. Uh, Ralph, welcome. Good morning, Aaron. It's good to see you again. <laughs> okay. Just being with you. I tell, tell us a little bit more about what Manship Broadcasting is all about and uh, what your role there. We are a, if you would, a shrinking organization in that once upon a time for 104 years, we had the local newspaper. At one point, we had radio stations here in Baton Rouge. You remember WJBO? Oh yeah, and, yeah. And and we had Rio. We had stations in South Texas and Illinois. Uh, we got into a mess. We in two thousand and four, we began building a new printing facility because our presses were over fifty years old and just weren't doing the job. And we hit the perfect storm. We were fighting an estate tax issue with the Justice Department um, and, interest, and kind of got in technical default. So ultimately, we've shed everything except for the uh, TV stations. Interesting uh, to, to your line of work these days, teaching all of us about ethics, Aaron, one of the things that I never got to bring out because we settled in greatly in our favor with the Justice Department is uh, is when I think of the Justice Department, I think of people that are supposed to be above the law, do all right, and we caught them in perjury. Oh, my goodness. And and uh, they lied about, about key witnesses, and uh, our one of our appraisers and I were going through a box of stacks, and we... She picks this invoice up and says, Ralph, you might want to look at this. <laughs> and, of, and, of course, our attorney told me for four or five years, you can't say a word. We're going to use that if we go to court. But it, it's, it's since then, I got hooked on the show Billions that you might be mm -hmm. aware of. The Wall Street uh, guy and the, the uh, attorney, Paul Giamatti, in the second court in New York. Southern District, and, you know, I end up finding myself watching the um, show and pulling for the guy doing the insider trading 
because uh, I, I guess of my experience. Yeah. And I know yeah. that that's not representative of most people in justice. You know, one of the reasons I invited you to be on my podcast is that you had such a, a variety of jobs and positions and responsibilities. And I wanted you, if you could today, just tell us about some ethical issues that were a major concern to you and some of your companies. I think maybe there was a case of somebody actually stealing money from you, those kinds of things. And, and talk a little bit about just how important it is that people be ethical in everything they do, because the positions you're in, you have to trust people. You have to delegate. You have to let people do their job. But uh, you got to worry about their ethics. And not everybody um, is straight and true all of the time. Talk, talk about it a little bit. Okay, and, and Aaron, I'm going to go back because I really didn't answer your question. What do I really do? <laughs> yeah, and CFO, CFO for you know, I'm a as as you well noted, I'm a recovering CPA. I'm I'm I've been a media guy for 30 years, and it's it's in it's in my blood just like any other journalist. Although as local local media, we differentiate differentiate ourselves from national media. We don't think that they're trustworthy either. We think we're different. We report the news. But, you know, particularly in a job like mine, CFO certainly has a financial implication. But really what you are, you're many things. You're a steward. You're an operator. You're a motivator. You're a strategist. You're an agent of change. Um, hopefully a catalyst. But I think the most important thing we do in our job, you're, you're a supporter of doing what's right. Mm -hmm. And that means what's right for the company, what's right for the employees, what's right for the owners. And it's a, it's a balance. It's not all, it, actually it is a pretty easy balance most of the time, but, but I, I do think we are, are somewhat in an ethical crisis in this country I think it starts with our leadership, and I think some of that starts with there's a lack of respect. Part of ethics is respecting you, not taking advantage of you, and I want you to think about this. You know on the lecture circuit that everybody has to recommend a book. It's in the speaker's code. You can't speak if you don't recommend a book, and I've read your books, and they're wonderful, and everybody listening ought to order them, and that's the log, but it's meant sincerely as somebody who's become a friend. But I want you to think about this. When, you know, if I were to recommend, when you start talking about recommending books, if you're moving my cheese, I don't want it anymore. I don't want it if you touched it. And I don't want to make a major decision in one minute. But to me, one of the greatest books that a speaker can recommend is on ethics. It's Profiles and Courage. And isn't it ironic that a book that won John F. Kennedy, the Pulitzer Prize, was basically ghostwritten by somebody else? There's even an ethics, ethical dilemma in that. <laughs> you know, I, I think our ethic issues are rampant. And, and yes, yeah, some of them are, if you would, very specific to a financial issue. We had an issue a number of years ago. We caught an employee 
um, taking some funds and spending some funds that he shouldn't have. Ultimately, it worked out. We were reimbursed. Obviously, this person is no longer an employee. And as a colleague, as his boss, indirectly, the thing that always struck me is why did he do it? And, you know, he, for several years after this occurred, he reached out to several of us, wanted to reestablish a relationship. And we just couldn't, you know, I, I, I couldn't do it. But one of the primary reasons I think that I couldn't do it at the time and still today is that I just wanted an honest answer. We make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Anybody that doesn't isn't being ethical and telling the truth. Ask my wife, Edie. She'll tell you the mistakes. There's a whole litany of them. But at the end of the day, I just want guy, why did you do this? And, you know, there was a little, well, you didn't interview me for the top position. Well, I'm sorry you were a bean counter, you know, and uh, to be the top position, you have to be a strategist. But people make, I, I, my, my feeling is people find reasons to justify why they're doing things almost as if they've been injured, in this case, I believe erroneously. I'm sure you heard me talk about it. I've heard it before. The fraud triangle usually, or to have a fraud, there, there's a triangle. There's an opportunity. You need an opportunity to cheat. Uh, there's needs to be a desire to cheat, and there's you've got to be able to rationalize. The third leg of the triangle is rationalization. Rationalize why you're doing it. Uh, it might be. Everybody's doing it. Uh, the company has mistreated me. They owe it to me. Um, but it's all kinds of things that people draw and rationalize uh, to commit their fraud. It, it seems like this fellow, though, never really came clean as to why he did it. And as much as I study all this stuff, it just seems like some people are, are prone to be bad people. They, they just... I don't know if it's laziness or what, but they would rather cheat um, and rationalize their behavior than do it right. I, I don't know about this guy, though. Go ahead, bro. But I think I think I think those are all correct. I think also goes further that sometimes I wonder if some people just if there's a pride issue, if there's a uh, some kind of embarrassment issue that sometimes the, in this particular case, Aaron, it was a lot of money, <laughs> but I had to fire somebody a number of years ago over $400 that was put on a company credit card that when this person was out for a period of time came up. This person, if they had told, if they had told me there was this problem, I'd have given them four hundred dollars out of my pocket. 
But I'm the CFO at that time. We had the newspaper as well of companies at that time doing $100 million a year business plus. I can't have somebody working for me that we can't trust be, you know, like Caesar's wife. We're the example. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's a shame, you know, it costs, once again, it costs you a friendship that you thought was a pretty solid friendship. You feel, from my perspective, you feel, I don't know, I know there are people that don't get real upset about firing people, about correcting people. For me, it's the worst thing in the entire world that I've ever had to do. Anytime you've had to deal with the negative side of employee issues, because I feel guilty that I'm hurting them, even though I'm doing what I have to do. Yeah. But I, I, I think, Aaron, some of it goes back to there's some core issues, you know, that we were all taught by our parents. And one of them is responsibility. I mean, you know, your kids, you have two kids. I have three children and two of them are two years apart. And then there's a pretty good gap. Well, think about when they're little and somebody gets in trouble. Who did it? They both point the other way. When they come home and you know, there's the grade that you're not real proud of. And that was me, you know. I'm the one that got sent home with the note. Miss Bender, Rouse hit rock bottom and he started to dig. But, you know, what, what, tell me about this grade, son. It's the teacher's fault. We don't take responsibility. I think that's one of the, the, the key giveaways to a successful life, career, living well, is that we're going to make mistakes. Just take responsibility for them. And I think that fits into the business model that creates ethical dilemmas as well. You know, we need to take responsibility for our employees. We expect our employees to take responsibility for themselves and their service to us. And we, we tend to think of fraud, as you and I have just discussed, you know, with, you know, your circumstances and history and story, which is an incredible story. We think of um, your friend Cynthia Cooper's story right. um, with WorldCom, where taking responsibility and doing her job, she was treated as a criminal, as a whistleblower. You know, it, it's it's just an amazing thing. But it it's more than financial. It, it goes back to, and it ties into one, another key factor, which is service. You know, I, I think we're put on this earth to serve. And I think we do our jobs. Yes, we do our jobs for money. But we don't do our job just for money. We do our jobs to serve. And so, you know, one of the ethical dilemmas that you get into in looking at employees is it's it's not the big items. It's how many employees. And, you know, we all talk about how many paper clips did you take home? I don't care about the paper clips. But how many times do you have employees that 
or say hourly, and perhaps they're missing an hour of work a day, but still filling in that timesheet. That's that's unethical and fraud every bit as much as the guy that stole hundreds of thousands of dollars. From the flip side, as an employer, we're here to serve our employees. I want to talk a second about the Manship family because other than other than my own family, they're you know they're as close to people. I'm so lucky to have been part of this organization for 30 plus years, and they've always done they're, they're, the mantra has been let's do the right thing. So this COVID crisis. Oh, it's been a lot of fun for all of us. You know how hard it's been on you. Our business the first three months was off 50%. We haven't had an employee that's missed a paycheck. We haven't had an employee that's missed an hour. Because after we finished with the Justice Department, the CEO and I decided we'd build a war chest because there's always going to be, you know, if if you want to enjoy the rainbow, you got to live through the rain. And there's always going to be rainy days. And when this hit, he was emphatic. We, this may teach us things we know about our business that we may change in the future. But in the midst of this crisis, we're not going to do anything that harms an employee. That's ethics. Yep. I mean, that is, that is the paramount of what I want to be when I grow up. You know, the, it's, it's not just good people. It's doing the right thing, even when it's hurtful to you. We, we could easily have cut significant portion of our workforce. And I can assure you, if we had done that, our bottom line would look better today than it does. And, and, and in scientific terms, it ain't been pretty this year. So I started doing these podcasts because my other ways of communicating ethics had gone away. And But every time I interview somebody, uh, COVID is such a game changer. I, I tell people for the rest of our lives now, you'll address things as either being pre-COVID or post-COVID because it's the world is going to be very, very different. And I, I think there are some ethical issues that are going to come out Things are going to be learned from it. Um, tough times make you, <laughs> if you survive and, and you don't drown, uh, you come out stronger on the other end. I know I'm a stronger person uh, for what happened to me at Health South. Uh, part of what happened is I wasn't strong. I didn't have the courage to do the right thing. So COVID's a profound thing. It really is. Well, I, I think... What COVID has taught us is a lot about crisis management. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the th- things I've learned is to keep the people that hate me away from the people who are undecided. <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> way of putting something. Um, but I, I, th- I truth, truth, seriously, I think one of the things that COVID has done and if you look at what's going on in the country, and it ties directly into ethics and the ethics of our business, the ethics of our world, if it's, it's taught us that there are too many of us that don't respect each other. We don't, 
we're, we become, we, we come from a nation of tolerance to one of intolerance. I think back when I was younger and I met the uh, Senator Byrd one time at a meeting in, in Washington, what always impressed me is at the end of every Senate decision, of the se every session of the, of the Senate, Bob Dole and Robert Byrd would get up and shake each other's hands. And they did that specifically as a symbol that they might vehemently disagree on issues. But that was ideology and philosophy. It wasn't about respect. Yeah. You know, and, and we're not respecting people enough. And, and, and we're not being tolerant enough. Uh, you know, in, in this day and age, it, it, times have changed a whole lot since you and I were younger. But I grew up Jewish in the Deep South where in a time when a lot of people thought it was very fashionable to wear sheets. We can't live in a world like that. No. And that respect is paramount in the workforce. We've got to recognize that we're all diverse. Even when we look alike, we're not the same. And we have to res respect our employees have needs and have rights. One of those rights is a healthy, safe workforce. So one of the ethical issues that I think comes up for managers on occasion and you probably had this at Health South. I know I've had it here. Is we're somewhat of a patriarchal company. We have an open door policy. You know, my door is shut for the podcast. But uh, other than that, you come in. I'll drop anything I'm doing seven days a week when I'm here. But every now and then, that person comes in and says, "Can I talk to you a minute?" Well, sure. I've got this situation. I just want to talk to you. Okay, what's the situation? Well, X, Y, and Z is happening. I'll get up and say, come on, we're going to take a walk down to HR. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I don't want that at all. That's not what this was about. This was supposed to be about me just telling you. I said, yes, but somebody's breaking the law when they're harassing you, when they're making you feel uneasy, I have an ethical obligation to do what I can do to make it right for you, first and foremost. And it's amazing that, that dynamic. And I don't think there's enough of that. Yeah. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, you're very, very active at LSU, and uh, you and I enjoy our LSU sports so much. Uh, I, did you graduate from LSU? I never really asked you if you graduated from LSU. I am a proud graduate of the old war very school. Very good, very good. What year did you graduate? I got my accounting degree in 76. 76. Okay, all right. But... Um, Sports, you know, uh, sports are a big part of us in the South and football, all kinds of sports. 
Um, and recently, the LSU basketball coach has come under fire for possibly paying players. And the thing that's always when you start talking about unethical recruiting of people in sports, uh, it's always said, well, everybody does it. Everybody does it. And of course, that's one of the big rationalizations for many, many frauds. When Richard Scrushy asked me to cook the books at Hell South, he said, Aaron, you know everybody does this kind of thing. And as lame as that sounds, it probably somewhat played into my decision to give in to Richard and, and cook the books. But um, in sports, because I'm so passionate about LSU, I want very much to believe that our coach did not pay players, that he did not do anything wrong. But um, – what, what do you think? In, 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 is everybody paying players in sports uh, to come to their school? Uh, you're, you're real close to the athletic program. If you, if you don't mind, talk about it a little bit. I suspect, Aaron, that there are sports where it is just rampant, prevalent. I think basketball tends to be one of them. And I think it's a crime. I think we have to respect that if a kid is good enough to go play pro basketball out of high school, they ought to let him go. Yeah. But if he comes to college, then he needs to go to college. And and if you look at the big three sports, the big money generating sports, football, basketball, baseball. I think football and baseball have their act together. They have a mechanism in place that if you go to college, you stay for three years. Basketball has that, you've got to go to college for a year. We had the kid that's playing at Philadelphia Come here, Johnny's last year when we didn't make the tournament. That's Johnny Jones was our basketball coach. Did, I think, the minimum nine hours the fall semester. Never went to class the spring semester. And as soon as the season was over, he was gone. He only came here because the NBA required it. I would... I would suggest to you that some of the problem in college basketball, I lay on the lay at the feet of the NBA, that they are not working to engage colleges, work with colleges to promote a more ethical environment. I think cheating is always going to be part of any system because I think we've learned there's bad rabbis, there's bad priests, there's bad judges, there's bad policemen, there's bad everybody. I think most people are basically good. But I, I but I do I but I do think it's much more rampant in basketball than in any other sport. And when you look at the cases over the year, at, at what's going on in Louisville and Kentucky 
here, I mean, you've got now Will Wade's comment is that he was offering a job to a recruits coach, which to me ought to be unethical in itself. If you you know, but but that's rampant in all college sports. That's a recruiting tool. Yeah. Um, and it can, it can be used. But, you know, the tape is pretty damning. I, I can't say. You know, there was, a, there was a coach in these parts a number of years ago, you probably remember this, who was on a recruiting trip in Biloxi and somehow lost a paper bag with $20,000. Oh, nice. I did not know about that. Ooh. <laughs> that's a little embarrassing you, you draw your own conclusions <laughs> I've never had $20,000 in a paper bag before I haven't either so, yeah. and, and the shame of it is that sports have been important to our moral upbringing for most of us because think about what sports did they taught us that life wasn't fair. In general, growing up, they taught us if you cheated, you were going to get caught. And I believe the reason that women who very, uh, in general, are, are a little bit more better balanced than us guys have taken over the workforce like they have is because they quit playing just cheerleading things and they started playing sports. And when they did, they knocked us off our feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I met, was in, at LSU in the 60s, uh, very few uh, girls majored in accounting. And I think today uh, it's probably what, 60? Majority of Yeah, probably the majority of them. And, and, and for the most part, I think they're better accountants than us guys. They're, they're more attention to detail and more patient and – a whole lot of things, no doubt about it. Let me tell you, Coach Coach O's got this new kid on the team, Boudreaux. He's Boudreaux. unbelievable. Coach 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 said, Boudreaux, can can you block? He says, Watch this, Coach. He knocked over the tackling dummy. He said, Boudreaux, can you run? He timed in in cleats and pads at a four four five. He said, Boudreaux. Can you pass the ball? He said, Coach, if I can swallow it, I can pass it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I love you, bro. Uh, did you see Coach Osheron on 60 Minutes? I thought he did a great job. I saw him, but i tell you who stole the show was oh, Coco. Oh, she was unbelievable. My wife and I is a Gotro. Uh, she has French in her blood. G a u p h r e a u x, and she was just laughing her head off when uh, the coach's mother was talking. And uh, it, it was a great, great, great show. I've heard people say really good things about about uh, Coach O because of the show. So, I grew up in a small town south of here called Marvin wow. City. When we lived, my dad was in the oil field, so we lived overseas for a few years, but and then moved back to Morgan City. Uh, it was one of the all-field hubs. And so my high school and the school that Coach O went to were in the same district. So I've been down to South Lafouche a lot wow. of times. Wow. Such a great part of the country. I, 
I know we're getting off track here a little bit, but I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, which is, uh, I didn't, I'd never eaten a crawfish. I didn't really know what South Louisiana was about. And uh, I was in my dorm the first day and there was a, a fellow with a real, on one room next to me, he was from New Orleans and he had that real New Orleans accent. And then there was another guy from Napoleonville in the other room. And uh, I thought I'd moved to a foreign country. Uh, it was just crazy. And, of course, they made fun of me that I talk funny, you know. So it's uh, – Louisiana is a very interesting state. <laughs> well, you know, for a lot of us, our joke about Coach O is for the first time in my lifetime, we have a coach here that doesn't have an accent. <laughs> yeah. Look, Ralph, this been great. And I, I, I promised you I'd try to hold it to 30 minutes or so. But I appreciate you coming on and talking about things, just opening up and – telling me, and I agree with everything you're saying, there, there's such division in our country now, there's not enough respect, uh, very vindictive and, and divisive and a lot of things. So uh, it's, it's a real crisis time, I feel like, in our country with COVID and, and the elections coming up. It, it's uh, it's real, really a mess. But I appreciate you coming on and... Um, I know you have a lot of viewers. If anybody that I can ever help, send them, send, have them email okay. me. You know how to get in touch with sure. me. I've been very fortunate all through my life and my career that people have been over backwards to help me. And I, and I, I think at the end of the day, well, you can call it calm or you can call it play it forward. But I think how we live is important. And anything I can do to help a listener. I, I appreciate that. Now I'll, I'll keep that in mind. At some point, we'll be coming back your way, and maybe we'll see you down in lower Alabama. Okay, great. Great. Thanks. Y'all take care. Have a great day. Stay safe. Okay. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. And if you want to hear more of my podcast, uh, you can find them at Aaron Beam Speaks. I uh, do have a website, uh, AaronBeam.net. And if you'd like for me to speak to your company or to your organization, uh, there's information about how to book me, AaronBeam.net. And once again, the social media uh, link in to me is Aaron Beam Speaks. Thank you very much. <laughs>